Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. As always, I hope you had a great week. And you can always find Let's Talk Micro on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, GoodPods, TuneIn Radio. Whatever you listen to podcasts, you can find Let's Talk Micro. As for our social media, I am on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube as Let's Talk Micro, on X as Let's Talk Micro 1, on LinkedIn as Luis Plaza, and I have an email address, which is letstalkmicro at outlook.com. Either via social media or via email, you can send suggestions, any feedback, any possible topic suggestions. Those are always welcome and appreciated. As always, thank you for the support. And please, you know, subscribe to the podcast, download episodes, and if the app allows you to do so, please go ahead and leave a review. And if you haven't listened to the previous episode, please go ahead and do so. It was the episode that was uh, recorded live at ID Week in Boston. And if you haven't ever, if you haven't attended ID Week or would like to know what it is, and definitely I invite you to check out that episode. I talked about some good posters, good talks. You know, this is a year where I went to different conferences and I had a great time, learned a lot. You know, did a lot of networking, met people, met listeners. You know, uh, I met guests in person. So in, th in that episode, I went ahead and I talked about my experience as ID Week as a first-time attendee. And I kind of compared that with ASM Microbe, you know, about they're both big, big events, you know, actually they're huge, with posters, talks, and, you know, ASM Micro is more towards the microbiologists, whereas ID Week, you know, you get that and you get also physicians and you get pharmacists. And the first few minutes started with a with a short conversation with Dr. Timothy Gauthier, and he's a pharmacist that has a blog and a book, which the blog is ID Stewardship. So definitely, you know, Google him or using your search engine of preference, look him up and, and definitely, you know, he's very active and very involved and he likes to teach and he's passionate. So it was a short few minutes, but it was great. And definitely at some point, he will be back on the podcast. So if you haven't checked out that episode, please go ahead and do so. So as you know, a few episodes ago, there was a, a two-part series about emerging viruses with Dr. Ryan Relich and Dr. Benjamin Pinsky. And, you know, they talked about all different viruses. They broke them down in diseases, prevention, treatment, you know, what type of viruses they are, either like DNA, RNA. So today's episode is about Marburg virus and Dr. Katerina Miraglia. And she's a professor at the University of Massachusetts in Dartmouth. Joins the podcast to talk about an, an, a review article that she published in 2019 about Marburg viruses. And it was a great article, you know, very informative, very educational. And I invited her to the podcast to talk about Marburg viruses. And she accepted it. So we did an episode about it. And Dr. Miraglia's background, you know, she's actually a medical laboratory scientist and she teaches microbiology courses. And I like what she said that, you know, when she saw that everything that was going on with Ebola and she wanted to make sure that the medical laboratory scientists were familiar about these type of viruses. So she went ahead and took charge and did a review article. And that's great. You know, that's that's inspirational. And, and you medical laboratory scientists out there. And microbiologists, you know, if you're, if you want to share information, if you want to talk about something, you know, you can do that and take steps to make it happen. So she put an article out there. 
And I think that is great. And like I said, you know, a review article. So it's always great. You know, there's always so much information, so many things going on. You know, we're so busy with our lives. And when people, you know, take this, you know, this type of initiatives to share information, you know, they're always so welcome. So I hope you enjoy the episode where we learn about viruses, you know, like what type of virus it is, you know, diseases, any, any treatment. So I hope you enjoy it as I did. Let's go ahead and listen to it. So we have done some episodes about, about viruses, you know, emerging viruses. And I thought today would be good to talk about, you know, continue doing an episode about viruses. So with me today, I have a, a, a my guess is, you know, she's a, a medical laboratory scientist that uh, she published a paper on Marburg viruses in 2019. And I thought it'd be a good idea, you know, to invite her to the podcast to talk about Marburg viruses. Her name is Dr. Katerina Miraglia. Dr. Miraglia, welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hi, nice to be with you. My pleasure. Um, so let's go ahead and start with a, with a quick introduction where you can tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Sure. I'm an associate professor in the medical laboratory science department at the University of Massachusetts Dartmouth. I've been there for a decade. I teach human physiology, pathophysiology, and microbiology laboratory courses. Excellent. Uh, welcome again. So you published this paper, and and I was just you know wanted to ask the question like what led you to publish a paper on Marburg viruses? I decided to publish a review article on Marburg viruses. So I just want to make it clear as a review article, I personally have not done research on Marburg viruses, but I find them very interesting. Um, and so I decided to publish this review article after the 2014 to 2016 Ebola virus outbreak in West Africa. Um, it was the largest filovirus outbreak ever recorded um, in human history. There were over 20. 28,000 cases. Um, so, of course, a lot of attention was paid to the Ebola viruses during this time. Marburg viruses, though, which are related to the Ebola viruses, had also been responsible um, for large outbreaks with high case fatality rates. So the largest recorded Marburg virus outbreak had 252 cases. So, of course, was nowhere near as large as that Ebola virus outbreak, but it was still very significant and devastating. It had over a 90% case fatality rate. Um, so I thought it would be appropriate to um, remind the medical laboratory science community about Marburg viruses and give them a bit of a refresher on basic information, as well as some new research that had been conducted in certain areas like pathogenicity, treatment, vaccines, et cetera. I like that. You know, it's it's good, especially uh, we sometimes, you know, we, you know, we're so busy and we're doing so much work and there's a lot of information out there. So it's always nice when we get something concise where we can access and see, you know, it's always as, as medical laboratory scientists, you know, understanding what we do and the tests and the behind it and the effect. And, you know, it's so important. So information is, it's always great. And at the end of the day, it makes you, you know, better at our work and, the patients benefit from that. Um, so as always, you know, in the spirit of Let's Talk Micro, we like to break things down and start from very simple. So when we talk about Marburg viruses, let's start with like the family and, you know, the genus and, and things like that. 
Marburg viruses are in the order Mononegovirales and the family Filoviridae, along with the Ebola viruses. So again, they're related. The genus Marburg virus has one species. So it's Marburg, Marburg virus. For two viruses, Marburg virus and Raven virus. Okay. Yeah. And um, and then uh, you know, one thing with with viruses, as we learn about them, we, you know, there's a classification system, and we know that there are DNA viruses, there are RNA viruses. So, what type of virus is Marburg virus? Marburg viruses are a lipid-enveloped virus that have a negative sense single-stranded RNA genome that's about 19 kilobases and codes for seven proteins. Um, they're pleomorphic, but can be filamentous in shape. And on average, the filamentous um, virions are 892 nanometers um, long and have a diameter of 91 nanometers. Okay. And yes, you know, for the audience listening out there, and this is something that I just, like I was taking a, a graduate uh, class on, on viruses and I learned more about them. And so if you look for the, the Baltimore classification scheme, you can see what we're talking about when we say, you know, like a single stranded RNA, you know, negative sense, DNA, double stranded and things like that. It just, it gives you a good overview. So if you want to research that on your own time, please, uh, I invite you to do so. So something else, you know, when we think about viruses, right, it's the mode of entry. So for the Marburg viruses, you know, what's the mode of entry? The virus enters the host, then the viral glycoprotein, which makes up the surface spikes, binds to host cell receptors. The virus is then taken into the cell by endocytosis, and the host cell lysosome fuses with the endosome that has the virus within it. The lysosomal proteases cleave the viral glycoprotein, allowing it to bind to the host receptor, Neiman-PIC-C1. This causes fusion of the viral membrane with the endosome membrane, and the nucleocapsid is released into the cytoplasm. In the cytoplasm, we have transcription, translation, and replication occurring, and then the viral components are assembled at the host cell membrane and bud off from the host cell. Okay. And as far as as far as disease, uh, what types of disease does it cause? Um, so when someone's infected with a Marburg virus, it's called Marburg virus disease. Marburg virus disease is a fulminant hemorrhagic fever. So this means rapid, severe, sudden onset. First, macrophages, dendritic cells, and fibroblastic stromal cells are infected, and then the virus spreads throughout the body. Viral replication leads to a very strong systemic inflammatory response, and this is going to cause some problems. <laughs> We're going to see fever, vascular leakage, hypotension, a decreased intravascular volume can occur because of this, and this will cause decreased perfusion or blood supply to organs or tissues. Also, disseminated intravascular coagulation or DIC can occur. So with DIC, you first have widespread systemic clotting followed by a bleeding problem. Infected monocytes and macrophages overexpress tissue factor, which we know activates factor seven in the coagulation cascade. Death usually occurs from multi-organ failure because of all these processes going on and shock. 
The incubation period is two to 21 days and the patient will have um, a very quick onset of nonspecific symptoms. These can include fever, myalgia, arthralgia, malaise, headache. As the disease goes on, the patient can start exhibiting other symptoms like abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. They can exhibit petechiae, uh, mucosal bleeding in multiple areas, bleeding from venipuncture sites, um, all exhibiting the hemostatic imbalance occurring. Severe hemorrhage is usually seen in fatal cases. The case fatality rate ranges from 23 to 90%, with the average case fatality rate being 50%. Wow, 50%. Um, That's high. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, you were mentioning, you brought back some memories as you were talking about the coagulation cascade and uh, brought some memories to the, you know, medical lab science program days and studying and learning that those for tests. Um, so, right, with viruses and definitely we hear about a lot of them in the news and we have you know been hearing about COVID and other things. And we know that, you know, we hear things about the reservoir and, you know, like bats and, and things like that. So when it comes to the Marburg viruses, what is the reservoir? How do we acquire it? So Marburg virus disease is a zoonosis, which means the virus's life cycle is maintained in the animal population and then spills over into the human population. Uh, Marburg viruses are endemic in Africa. And before the early 2000s, the host reservoir of Marburg viruses was unknown. Um, it was highly suspected though, that bats were involved because most of the index cases in Marburg virus uh, outbreaks had worked in or visited caves or mines. And this is where bats roost. In 2007, Marburg virus RNA was isolated from a Rosettus aegypticus bat, also known as the Egyptian fruit bat, that had been caught in Kittim Cave in Kenya, which was the site of previous outbreaks. Studies were also conducted in Kitaka Mine um, not long after, this was in Uganda, not long after the outbreak had started there in 2007. During the research that was conducted in Kitaka Mine, the researchers were able to detect Marburg viral RNA and IgG antibodies specific to Marburg viruses in R. aegypticus. But what was the most important finding in those studies was that um, Marburg virus RNA was detected in, or sorry, <laughs> live virus, live virus was isolated from our Egypticus bats, healthy bats that were um, collected from the mine. So this study demonstrated that our Egypticus was the natural host reservoir of Marburg viruses. Therefore, transmission to humans can occur from exposure to the host reservoir. So people need to avoid exposure to our gypticus in endemic areas, specifically avoiding entering their roosting sites in endemic areas. We don't know how transmission between our gypticus and humans occurs. The virus, though, has been isolated from um, our gypticus blood, urine, feces, and saliva. So exposure, either direct or indirect to any of these fluids from the host reservoir could potentially transmit the virus. 
human to human transmission occurs from direct contact with body fluids and through contact with contaminated objects or surfaces. Uh, yes. And uh, right. That's something that it's always as we hear about all this, you know, microorganisms that they can survive this long periods of time. I mean, we definitely we know about bacteria and hospital equipment and things like that. So it just they're so resilient. Um, so we are right. We're definitely we're medical laboratory scientists. So we're testing, right? We do testing. And, and so when it comes to for, for to diagnose Marburg virus disease, uh, what what type of testing is there? There's different assays um, available to diagnose Marburg virus disease. Testing, diagnostic testing, though, should not be conducted until the healthcare provider has contacted their jurisdictional health departments and the CDC, specifically their viral special pathogens branch. After consultation, the public health authorities are going to decide where that diagnostic testing will be conducted. There is the laboratory response network that the CDC established and there are laboratories throughout the United States, as well as in other countries that deal, um, and these labs are equipped to deal with public health emergencies and biological threats. So the initial testing is going to be performed at one of those reference laboratories and confirmatory testing will be done by the CDC. The CDC has protocols for specimen collection, storage and transport because these specimens will have to be sent out in cases of suspected Marburg virus disease. And they also have protocols for conducting routine diagnostic lab testing um, for those patients where Marburg virus disease is suspected. So they should be followed um, in those cases. During the early disease stage, diagnosis can be done by antigen capture, enzyme-linked immunosorbent assay, or ELISA, IgM capture ELISA or virus isolation. In late disease, IgG capture ELISA can be performed. Diagnosis in patients who have died can be done by viral isolation, RT-PCR, and immunohistochemistry staining of tissues to detect the viral antigens. Um, PCR is great. PCR has the advantage of being fast, sensitive, and specific. Um, and PCR testing can be conducted at outbreak sites, which is hugely important. Um, whole blood serum plasma can be used for ELISA. Whole blood serum plasma or tissues can be used for PCR. Oral and nasal swabs can also be used for PCR testing, but are much less sensitive. Um, viral morphology can be evaluated using electron microscopy. Um, but culture and electron microscopy techniques require biosafety level four facilities. Okay, thank you for that. And uh, for the audience out there, uh, you know, check out the, uh, I did a series of your senior episodes uh, where I, I described the, I talk about the laboratory response network. So if you want to find out a little more information, I invite you to go ahead and check out those episodes. Um, so, right, so now that we have talked about testing, something definitely big that, uh, we want to know is, right, what about treatment and are there any vaccines? Currently, um, a nationally or internationally approved treatment or vaccine that specifically targets Marburg viruses doesn't exist. 
Uh, so treatment for Marburg virus disease is supportive. Researchers have evaluated in vitro and in animal models different compounds to use for treatment that would specifically target Marburg viruses. Um, some of these include antivirals, small interfering RNA, and monoclonal antibodies, just to name a few. Um, these compounds have different mechanisms of actions, like inhibiting viral replication, targeting uh, the viral proteins, etc. Monoclonal antibodies tend to target the glycoprotein because that is what is necessary for binding and entry into the host cells. Favipiravir, galadesivir, and remdesivir, which is currently FDA approved to treat COVID-19 infections, all inhibit viral RNA-dependent RNA polymerase. This inhibits transcription and replication. Um, studies using these drugs demonstrated efficacy in Marburg virus-infected non-human primates. So non-human primates can be effect, uh, infected with Marburg viruses as well. Um, different vaccine platforms have been studied. Um, candidates have been tested in animal and in human models. And some of these include recombinant viruses expressing viral proteins of Marburg virus and or Raven virus um, or DNA vector vaccines. Recently, a phase one clinical trial for Marburg virus vaccine was completed in human subjects in the United States. The vaccine used a recombinant chimpanzee adenovirus that expressed Marburg virus glycoprotein. The research subjects all got one dose and 95% of them, which was 30 out of 40, had glycoprotein specific antibodies four weeks after their dose. And they also had T cell and neutralizing responses. None of them had serious adverse events occur. And the results of this study were published in the Lancet in January 2023. Okay. Um, so now that we have, you know, you have given an overview about the virus and we have talked about all the different components and for the audience. So if, is there anything else that you want to add? The first recorded outbreak of Marburg virus disease was in 1967. And there have been a total of 17 outbreaks including the 2023 outbreaks in Equatorial Guinea and Tanzania. And for both of these countries, it was their first recorded outbreak of Marburg virus disease. So these outbreaks are going to continue. And due to the high case fatality rate, it's really important that more research and clinical trials are conducted to make sure that we have effective treatments and vaccines that are developed and approved nationally and internationally. Okay. Well, you know, um, so thank you for this. And, uh, you know, I just say when you were introducing yourself, you know, I definitely liked the fact that you took the time to do this. And as you said it, right. I wanted to give some information to the fellow medical laboratory scientists, you know, and that's so important. I think sometimes we sometimes, you know, feel like, the, yeah, there's so much information on there. We might not be aware of all the resources. And that's something that I am working on with, you know, with this platform. So definitely, you know, thank you for that. I always like when, and I say this, you know, when people take the time and, you know, and they take the time to educate others and make this profession better. So thank you for that. And thank you for taking the time to coming into Let's Talk Micro. Of course, you're welcome. It was fun. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. 
And that, my dear audience, it's the end of this episode. I hope you enjoy learning about Marburg viruses. As always, I enjoy sharing this information with you. As always, continue bringing that passion to what you do. It's so important. You do such great work. Thank you for listening. Thank you for the support. And there was a, a special update episode that published on Monday about an upcoming subseries in Spanish. Um, and this is meant, you know, just like Let's Talk Micro, you know, the goal is to share information, to educate, to learn. That series is meant to help the Spanish speaking population as well. So it's going to happen on a separate publishing schedule. So it's not going to affect our Thursdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's going to be on a separate day. So, as always, stay motivated, stay safe, and of course, continue talking micro. Until the next time, bye.